0: Support for W E R U also comes from Artisan Builders, providing environmental design, construction, and renovation for homeowners and local businesses since 1992. More information at three two two four six four seven. Hallelujah, ja, ja, Got on my shoes. Hey, hey.
1: As the extra large soul show have more soul than snowshoes? That would be quite a feat, and the old flounder of the Soul Show is stepping in that direction every Thursday afternoon from 2 to 4, only on your community radio station, WERU-FM Blue Hill, 89.9 and 99.9 in Bangor. He laces together old and new soul, Cajun, reggae, and whatever else he can shoehorn in, Add some sandalous humor that he sneakers in, and even the well-heeled will be making tracks for community-supported local radio, WERU.
2: Support for WERU comes from Village Soup, the Republican Journal, providing the communities of Waldo, Knox, and Hancock counties with news, information, ideas, events, goods, and services on newsstands Thursdays and on the web at waldo.villagesoup.com.
3: A few seconds past the hour of 4 o'clock. This is Community Radio. Stay tuned for Maine Currents with your host, John Greenman.
1: This is Maine Currents for May seventeenth, 2017. I'm John Greenman. Amy Brown is off today. This week, we're taking a look at Maine's Cuban connections. It's an update on all things Cuban. Joining me in the studio are Judy Robbins, who lives in Sedgwick and is a member of the Let Cuba Live Committee for Maine, I should say of Maine, for which she is also an editor of the website LetCubaLive.org. Now in their 25th year, the group is committed to working to end the U.S. blockade against Cuba. She and husband Peter have traveled to Cuba 10 times since 1994 with delegations led by Pastors for Peace, a national solidarity organization based in New York City. And also joining Judy is Dud Hendrick from Deer Isle. He's a member of the main chapter of Veterans for Peace and has for many years been dedicated to the campaign to close military bases on foreign lands. He's just returned from Cuba, where he attended the fifth International Seminar for Peace and the Abolition of Foreign Military Bases. Welcome to both of you. Thank you for being here. Want to make sure, want to make sure you're there at the other end <laughs> of the microphone. Uh, so anyway, why should we be concerned about Cuba? It's a long way away. We don't really have many connections with Cuba. We're in Maine. Cuba's in the Caribbean. Um, why should we be concerned?
3: I've uh, well, thanks for having us both, John. I sure appreciate this opportunity. I did just return from this conference that you referred to down in the uh, very eastern end of, uh, of the country, uh, near Guantanamo, the detention center that I think probably most of your listeners will know about. And that really is at the, at the foundation of my interest in Cuba. That is the, the military base that we've had there since 1903 against the will, the good wishes of, uh, of Cuba. I've been disturbed by the way the United States, uh, through their foreign policy, is so uh, bullish uh, around the world, in particular in our hemisphere. And uh, the uh, situation in Cuba is particularly, uh, it resonates with me because of the, uh, as they say, uh, our presence down there is against the will of the Cuban people. And by going down there and getting to meet people, being there at the conference, I saw that firsthand so I'm anxious to talk about that and share that with our listeners.
1: Yeah, and, and you might also, when we get back to that subject, uh, tell us a little bit about the history, how it came to be in 1903, because that's a little nefarious in itself, um, how, how that was happening. It's just 100 and, 114 years ago, is that right? Yeah. Uh, sounds yeah. to me like that would probably be about right. It's incredible. Yes. So, Judy, how about you? What, why should we be concerned?
2: Uh, I would answer the question, um, John, by looking to the United States. We have a lot of problems facing us that all of us are dealing with on a daily basis, Um, the United States and the world, um, climate, the climate problem, um, democratic participation in society, um, racism, poverty. These are all things that we deal with in this country, and I think we have a lot to learn from Cuba and how Cuba Uh, Treats people and how Cuba treats its relationships with other countries, how Cuba treats the environment and so forth. We have a lot to learn from Cuba.
1: And um, one of the people we're going to be hearing from first uh, uh, talks a little bit about that. So that'll be great to, to come back to afterwards. Well, since President Obama's historic change of direction a couple of years ago, Mainers and others have been freely visiting Cuba so that it becomes something of a thing to do before Cuba is perhaps forever changed. We really don't know. There's, a, there's actually a movement against that happening, um, which is interesting. On a recent uh, Witness for Peace delegation, I joined 19 others from New England and beyond to find out firsthand how the Cuban embargo is continuing to affect the country and its people. We were there to learn about the arts, culture, economy, and the achievements of Cuban women. The visit coincided with International Women's Day. Well, before we get back into a studio discussion, let's start with a little history geopolitical lesson from Gladys Hernandez of the Global Economy Research Center in Havana. And she explains the socialist foundation of today's Cuba.
0: This is a socialist country. Being a socialist country means that social things are supposed to be very important it doesn't mean that private things doesn't exist, okay? It's very clear. I have my house, I own my house. If I have a car, I own my car. When the revolution started, the demands were mainly social, education, land for the farmers, and health for the population. Social security for those who have retired and didn't have enough social security. Uh, How to eliminate discrimination among urban people and people living in the land. I mean, this was a very, very poor country. Few people used to have a lot of money in the 50s when the revolution started, so all those demands You can understand our social ones, and the so-called revolutionary program was supposed to be like a route. A route for what the government was supposed to do in these more than 50 years that the revolution has been taking place.
1: Tourism has become a major source of hard currency income for Cuba, but its dramatic increase has meant radical changes in policy and planning. Planning that, more often than not, is stymied by the continuing U.S. blockade.
0: And the growth rate has been 18% annually. It's huge. It's a new era. And you you guys need internet and we don't have internet sometimes (laughs) it's really very hard there are a lot of cables surrounding the island but we cannot pinch them because it's prohibited by the blockade i mean cuba now is a fashion not only from You guys, I mean, a lot of people is coming from all over the world, and we don't have still the capacity to absorb properly all the tourists is coming. The problem is that there, there are no negotiations going on concerning the blockade. The blockade is not only one law. It's a complex of different laws, and some of those laws are supposed to be negotiated with the Congress of the United States. Because if they don't go through the Congress, they will never be eliminated. There are very small niches, you know, in which these enterprises in the United States are dealing directly with the rules. Because some rule says that the uh, if there is something that will not be affecting the american people and benefiting the health of the american people we can use it because of this sentence we can try to develop common research with the united states and we can develop too um, we can also try your people to be vaccinated with the vaccine in a test in hospitals, but this is because of a small something that the lawyers use.
1: Despite language in the US laws laws that allow some wiggle room for cooperation, the US hasn't been willing to take advantage of Cuban technology that could have greatly benefited it.
0: it. We have developed an institute for bioremediation, And this institution works with the cleaning of oil spills. For example, if we have a spill of oil in a river, they come, they use whatever they produce, and they clean in less than five weeks the oil spill. We uh, propose to the government of the United States when you have the spill in the Mexican Gulf that we could have helped with the spill. And they didn't wanted us to do it. And it's very interesting because if you analyze the bioremedial production in the world, no product can clean the sun. They only clean the oil in the water. And our product goes to the sun. And they clean everything. In less than six months, it depends on how much oil you have spilled.
1: As for international trade, Cuba can't use U.S. dollars because any bank or company that accepts U.S. dollars from Cuba finds itself sanctioned and punished economically by the U.S. government.
0: The only way is to find somebody who changed the dollars into something else. But then, if we go to banks outside Cuba to do that, the banks can be charged, and they are charged because they are violating the United States' rules. Why is it
2: important to have relationships with the United States when you have access to resources from other places in the world?
0: <laughs> <coughs> oh, what a question. The United States are the United States. I mean, it's the more powerful country in the world and we are together in the caribbean sea both of us there is there is a lot of things that can be common for us from the hurricanes from the biomedia from i don't know people people to people why we cannot normalize relations with the united states why we are supposed to continue with this they creating They are creating a lot of laws against us, inhibit our development. During many, many years, we have been receiving different kind of bad things from the, not from you people, but there are other people thinking to do bad things in my country. Why? Maybe the people who went to the United States because they were nationalized with the revolution, (laughs) Maybe because they didn't want Fidel or Raul to be the leaders of the revolution and they want to attack and they put bombs here and they create a lot of problems and they introduce diseases and whatever. Why? Now everybody is very worried with your new president, of course. But uh, Let's see. Let's hope. We're supposed to hope. We are supposed always to hope because it's it's a normal way to do it. I mean, it's uh, without hope, you go nowhere. It's all. So thank you.
1: So let Cuba live. Um, that was her message, really. Uh, any
3: reactions to what you heard? Mm-hmm. I, I find that piece to be incredibly illuminating and uh, and disturbing. Her anecdote about our refusal to use the remedial technology that they have is just one of many instances I have heard about in the recent uh, days and weeks that I experienced down there and know about that are reflective of the way the United States um, sees Cuba, the way they have been bullying them since uh, the Spanish-American War, really, 19, uh, in 1898 and through 1903. Um It's just so disturbing and seemingly based solely on the fact that they have uh, chosen not to adhere to a democratic, capitalistic-based, materialistic, uh, profoundly materialistic system as we have. Um, Her antidotes with regards to the socialism uh, and their successful education system and medical system are wonderful testimony to how successful they have been in those arenas. Uh, And again, so disturbing that we have, because of our our antipathy to the country have not uh, taken advantage of mm-hmm. through just developing normal, uh, friendly relationships with the country over these now decades, if not uh, scores and hundreds of years.
1: We'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the changing atmosphere in in Washington. I think after after our next segment. But how, how about you, Judy? Any reactions?
2: Yeah, I wanted to. Um, I, I was. Uh, struck by the question from the member of your delegation that said, why, if you have relationships with other countries, why, if you can't uh, have relationships with the United States, why not just go to the other countries? And that does... um, sort of ask the question, what is the difference between an embargo and a blockade? Because the, the blockade, the U.S. blockade against Cuba is not simply uh, we will not sell rice to you or we will not sell medical equipment to you because we have a trade embargo. Um, the Cubans call it the um, commercial, financial, and economic blockade. Okay. Um, and it goes far beyond simple trade issues between countries. Um, the For example, the American Association for World Health found that doctors in Cuba have access to less than 50 percent of the drugs on the world market. So it's not just that they can't buy drugs from the United States. They can't buy them from other countries if if a company in the United States controls access to that Uh drug. Um, Amnesty International reported that um, treatments for children and young people with bone cancer, uh, antiretroviral drugs used to treat children with HIV/AIDS, were not readily available with the embargo because they're commercialized under U.S. patents. So that's um, that's that just goes beyond the issue of of a trade embargo, um, and there doesn't seem to be any. Um, movement in changing the laws the extraterritorial laws that keep the embargo that keep the blockade in place um as i think we had already mentioned earlier the the um jurisdiction for maintaining the blockade lies with congress it was codified into law in the 90s and so the president can't really change that single-handedly
1: and and we do want to get into some of that because there are some some uh, bills before congress but uh they probably don't have much of a chance but we we let's get back to that. We we have a, a um well we're going to we're going to hear from a number of other folks now uh now that we have a rudimentary understanding of Cuba's economic and political status. First uh, the delegation met with five Cuban women, all professionals with various degrees and jobs. The women all work with the Marianao Ebenezer Baptist Church and the Martin Luther King Center next door. Uh, and first we'll hear the women introduce themselves. And, and by the way, the translator you hear is Alberto Gonzalez Gonzalez, who is the author of the autobiography Born to Translate
4: Cuba. Maria Rica, so Margarita, I have a university degree on education, and right now I work here at Malcolm Martin Luther King Center as the assistant of the team that supports the central region of Cuba. Mary
5: Cabas.
4: Neri. i I'm a psychologist. I am coordinating the program of evangelization and companionship program of the church. I am also a collaborator at the Council of Churches of Cuba in HIV, AIDS, and sexual health. Ana Lidia,
5: Ana
4: Lidia enfermera, nurse and the national Lidia. coordinator of the program of sexual health and HIV at the Council of Churches of Peru. i in the church I'm the coordinator of the uh, young adults ministries.
0: Soraya, ingeniera
4: mecánica de construcción de Maquinaria. Soraya, I am a mechanical engineer of construction of materials. And in the church, I'm the coordinator of the adult or senior citizens' ministries.
5: Lourdes, Soy agente de protección del hospital.
4: Lourdes, now I'm part of the security staff of the hospital, in the intensive care unit and the operating rooms. i expert on biochemistry of the food for 40 years.
1: Their work at the church and the center brings them into regular contact with many societal problems that are the same in many other places.
4: And we have young people who prefer the easy way out by selling their own bodies. They are still in our educational system, a free-of-charge educational system. And the health care is also provided free of charge. There might be young people who might be selling their bodies, but we do preventive work with them.
1: The women help young people as well as their families, and often issues arise that have to do with Cuba's well-entrenched tradition of machismo. This U.S. delegation visited Cuba during International Women's Day, March 8th. The Cuban women we spoke with took women's issues very
4: seriously.
5: Eh, una fecha de celebración no solo en Cuba.
4: Today is March the 8th is a celebration day not only in Cuba. In our family we celebrate our king. And it could be to celebrate the achievements and the breakthroughs tenemos, that have attained, or the families. But in other countries we have people who take themselves into the streets. For their rights, the rights that we already have here. Today, we have the right to, for education to be upgraded to be leaders to choose our own Religion, to be part of our own family with our children. I believe that other women that are now in migratory processes to other lands are not celebrating it and speaking on behalf of millions of refugee women. So we believe here in Cuba that our burdens have been decreased a little bit, taking into account the fact that in Cuba both men and women alike get paid the same salary and they occupy the same job. The abuse of men against women exists here, as it is true in every single society, but that is part of our own challenges and struggles.
1: Visiting the Federation of Cuban Women, Maricel Gonzalez of the Federation's International Relations Department told us how Cuban women are hurt by the U.S. blockade.
5: The blockade uh, affects us too much. Why? Because we have many difficulties with the means of transportation. There is a problem for us. Because many women have to take their children to the school. And sometimes, or the majority of time, they uh, do it very faster, you know? Because they are very stressed of um, if they may take a bus or not the means of transportation is terrible for us. Also, they are very expensive, and for Cuba, it's very difficult to buy food, some foods, because we have to pay, we we can't pay in the U.S. coin. We have to change the U.S and then to pay it in another coin, because this is part of the blockade. If we pay in U.S. dollars, the government of the United States, como si se congela cuentas,
4: Freezes the account.
5: Freezes the account. And we lose that money. That is one of the problems.
1: In a home for children with no family protection, we met 18 elementary and older kids who told us about their hopes for the future.
0: I'm William, I'm nine. <laughs> My name is Sally, I'm eight years old. I'm Alexis, I'm 13. Mm-hmm. I'm Jorge,
4: I'm 13. I am Jay, I'm 18. My name is Michael, I am 15 (laughs) years (laughs) old. I would like to be a special education
5: professor.
4: Ah. Ah. I'm I'm training to be a physical education teacher. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be a baker. I want to be in food services, a waitress. I would like to be an elementary school teacher. I would like to be a veterinary doctor. And something else I would like you to convey about our country is that you have to have faith no matter what, and you are never supposed to give up.
1: for Visual Arts and Music, some of the 89 very gifted students shared their work and thoughts with us.
5: Can
0: we ask one serious question about how the United States blockade is, uh, is affecting your school? Are there things that would be um, available to you blockade ends that are important to
2: you. For example,
4: the schools provide the instruments for the student to use them, but the in musical instruments we have are not the very best. They break down, they deteriorate. Those are fragile, there needs to be repaired, and besides that, music, the place where we are taught. Our, the whole school infrastructure could be better up and improved better condition, for a better development. Sometimes when it comes to the visual artists that they, send, they run out of the materials to work with, the quality of the using is not good enough and sometimes they don't have anything to work with. The blockade has affected us a lot.
1: At a small family-operated restaurant hotel, we learned that more and more entrepreneurs are starting small businesses.
4: We started here in the year 2011, Negocio familiar. As a family business. My esposa Aliuska is my wife. Aww. The both of us working together. Todos los días. Hand by hand on a daily basis. Con el corazón. With our hearts. Y tratando de complacer and a trying los to please our customers. Porque ustedes son lo más importante para nosotros. Because you are our rationale, the most important thing for us. If the blockade goes away, how would that help them? Si les, se elimina el bloqueo, ¿cómo eso lo va a ayudar a ustedes? Oh,
3: maravillosamente.
4: Wonderful. Maravillosamente. ¿Qué Jesus. lo que más deseamos? That's what we wish the most. Why, why? Okay. ¿Por qué? Porque. So I believe that the U.S. and and the Cuban people have always kept a very good relationship. The chemistry between us has always been good. And in the culture, we also have many commonalities. And then, if the blockade is lifted, we will have better possibilities to obtain the machinery or equipment that we might need, inputs or products of all kinds. And then the prices are going to be lower. The people needs to be benefited out of that. For you to come here more frequently, and for us to go there as well, easily. That would be wonderful. My name
5: is Norma. My name is Norma.
4: I am specialist in pests and diseases.
1: At an urban organic garden project, we learned that the blockade has forced many agricultural operations to go organic, since chemical fertilizers and pesticides are either not available or too expensive. As an alternative,
4: there's a whole number of laboratories all over the, the country in which uh, they produce uh, fungi and bacteria in order to fight uh, against the insects. We produce organic matter or, uh, or both solid and liquid uh, fertilizer out of humus from the worms. We are going to see the, the, the worm factory here.
2: Some countries like Thailand and Mexico...
1: A tourism expert told us about medical procedure tourism which is a growing industry, along with regular tourism.
4: It's, it is part of the objective. It is a type of tourism that we have. It is happening already, not at a big scale the way we wanted it to have it, but yes, it's already happening. The government is aware of the fact that tourism, the health tourism, not only of wellness but surgery and other things of uh, medical care, could be easily brought. Because alto mundo. the Cuban uh, uh, healthcare system is well acknowledged all over the world yes. and it would always be way cheaper as opposed to many other places. Yes.
1: The delegation wanted to know how the new technologies that tourists expect, cell phones, the internet and computers, are affecting Cuban society.
4: Así que el está ahí, por so supuesto. the danger is so latent Para there, of course, for many people to change their minds, to be more materialistic, m- less socialist. But are the challenge is to be found rather in trying, to, by all means, to make sure that the one that is next to me May become a better human being.
2: Think about that, <laughs> educating young people about the dangers of materialism?
4: Yes, that is something el tema very cultura cubana, cubana, cu- cubano. Culturally speaking, they are emphasizing the importance of Cuban traditions, Cuban culture, Cuban music as part of the national advocacy and national identity, but also as an added value that is one more product that is sold.
1: Artist Saulo Serrano, a well-known member of the Cuban Union of Writers and Artists, said the blockade's effects are evident everywhere, despite the new tourist openness.
4: Yes. In spite of the fact that diplomatic relations have been presumed, <laughs> no
1: let's
4: not fool ourselves. El the blockade mm-hmm. is still there. A few little things here and there, have been obtained. There are some airlines from the United States which have been authorized to fly directly to Cuba. Some agreements about the bandwidths have been reached, etc., and so forth. But the very essence, lo comercial, in terms of trade, eh, todavía existe. is still there in force. Y, y I, I apologize, pero no le puedo decir but I cannot share anything but the truth.
1: As for anti-Americanism in Cuba, Saulo wanted us to know that. Cuba nunca se ha quemado una bandera norteamericana ninguna manifestación.
4: In Cuba, uh, no American flag has never been burned in any demonstration whatsoever at all. Yes. Recorded. And send it over. Yes. Gracias. <laughs>
1: well we were able to record it and send it over and send it to you folks we want to hear from you folks too now if you have any questions or comments about what you've heard or issues you think need to be addressed regarding our growing ties with Cuba please do give us a call if you're calling from out of the country we're at 12074690500 that's 12074690500 or from anywhere in the states you can call 1866625 9378. And of course, 4690500 gets you here if you're in Maine. And a reminder, in case you just tuned in, you're listening to Maine Currents. I'm John Greenman, and I'm joined by Dud Hendrick of the Maine chapter of Veterans for Peace, and Judy Robbins from the Let Cuba Live Committee of Maine. We've heard a lot of voices and a lot of issues that were brought up. I mean, the country is is it fair to say the country is really affected from the top to the bottom by the blockade?
3: Well, that was surely my observation through the couple of weeks that I was there uh, recently. Uh, um, you see, well, I had been there about 15 years ago as well. And it was evident to me then that the deprivation was on a much greater scale than it is today. You do see uh, quite a f- Quite a good variety of products in various stores, uh, not just in Havana but elsewhere throughout the country. But nonetheless, there's still a, a very limited uh, range of items available, just common need items for the general population. And you can see that there is uh, n- a very little... Opulence, I'd be happy to say about – I'm pleased that that's not the case. But uh, it seems like everyone is suffering a, a little bit through some deprivation thanks to the embargo. One th- one thing that I wanted to mention that uh, I, I learned through the couple of weeks that I was there is that it's just not the United States trade with, the Cuba, with Cuba that's impacted by the embargo. The fact that uh, other countries cannot berth their ships in Havana, a uh, supportive call, and then uh, following that take goods on to the United States – is prohibited in so many any, cases. Any
1: ship that, that wants to come to the United States has a certain amount of time they have to spend outside after they've been to Cuba. Six
3: yes.
2: months. Yes. Yeah.
1: What do you know? What it is like? Six, half a year? Or six months.
2: Yeah. Six yeah. months. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and there must be a lot so, of things. I mean, the the embargo blockade encompasses a lot of different issues. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah I, I just. Um, <clears throat> was reading rereading um Foreign Minister Bruno Rodriguez when he brought um to the United Nations in the fall. Every year the Cubans bring to the United Nations a, a resolution mm-hmm. against the blockade and ask the countries of the world to vote for that resolution
1: to, to, what, to compel the
2: United States to end the blockade. What's and, the usual
1: result uh, of that vote? I mean uh,
2: um, the it's been going on i think it's been 24 25 years maybe not quite that um that it's been voted on and in recent years there have been um every country in the world has voted for the cuban resolution to end the blockade two countries in exception the united states and israel Mm -hmm. Um, but basically the entire world is in support of ending the blockade
1: we're, we're not we're, we're kind of used to being alone aren't we mm-hmm. i think in a number of areas but anyway that's the sign
3: that is so illuminating though we would want to have the world believe that it's cuba that's the pariah and in fact is the united states it's the pariah
2: yeah uh, cuba is fond of saying that they do not embargo the united states it's a one-sided relationship mm-hmm. um, that and the work um, needs to be done in this country. So oftentimes when we visit Cuba, um, we say, what can we do? How can we, how can we improve our relationship between us as people? And oftentimes the answer is, please go home, do whatever you can to compel your government to end the blockade against Cuba.
1: And it is, to be completely uh, clear, it is the uh, blockade, the embargo that was set up uh, instituted by Congress at the behest of basically the Cuban refugees and emigres back in the early 60s, right, that that really pushed for a strong closing of the door.
2: Uh, I think they were probably part of it. There was certainly a lot of activity to retake Cuba immediately after the revolution the Bay of Pigs and so on. But it was really when um, Fidel Castro declared the socialist nature of mm. the Cuban government that the United States uh, went Became very alarmed because uh, they certainly did not want to have a socialist country in the Western Hemisphere.
1: And, and aside from the the politics, aside from the socialist politics, um, there is, I would imagine, in, among the MacGregor population, some concern about ever getting any kind of compensation for the lands and ventures that were taken from them in the nationalization process. I mean that that would have to continue, but generations are going on, and that's changing.
2: Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very interesting thing, since um, since since President Obama um, began the process of normalization it's been two years and four months whatever um, there were uh, bilateral talks taking place on a regular basis sometimes in Washington sometimes in Havana they were very productive very respectful people really felt like there was an opening to let's talk about all of this certainly on the um, on the agenda was Oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. Um, Certainly on the agenda was um, the um, getting recompense for lost lands and (laughs) lost um, properties in Cuba. Um, And the Cubans are very willing to talk about that. They have said from the beginning that they're willing to talk about it. They have said from the beginning that they're willing to pay recompense at a certain level. However... Cuba also feels that the 55 plus years of the blockade has cost their country billions and billions right. of dollars, which has been demonstrated um, and is very and, and well documented. So they want it to be a two-way conversation mm-hmm. about recompense.
1: Has there been a, a, a willingness among some in government to to go that route
2: in the United States government? In the United States government? Oh, I can't imagine that. Yeah.
1: It, it hasn't gotten uh, to that point yet.
2: No, and, and those talks, since we have a new president, um, the bilateral talks are on, on hold right now.
1: There is a, a process apparently going on within the administration to con- reconsider the arrangements, right, as I understand it. They are thinking about where they are in terms of their Cuba policy, and that hasn't really come out yet, as I understand it.
2: No, um, I know that um, President Trump has a very close, uh, friendly relationship with Marco Rubio, and the Rubio, um, you know, they are very, um, very much in favor of maintaining the harshest blockade possible, still holding on to the idea that, um, you know, keeping an iron fist over Cuba will someday win and they can have the country back Yeah, uh, as a perhaps as a colony.
1: Speaking of the Trump administration, um, we were talking before we came on the air about the Pope's visit coming, or the visit to the Pope coming in May, late May, I guess it's the 27th or something like that, and the possibility that this issue might be brought up. Is there, among the people you talk to, is that a realistic um, point of perhaps hope that that Trump might be induced to think favorably about normalization?
3: I can't respond to that. I yeah. uh, <laughs> you didn't, it didn't I come up in, in the piece. Circles. I don't know <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, uh, I, I was reading um, recently about someone was trying to analyze what the Trump administration might do in the future vis-a-vis the relationship with Cuba, and it seems like there are three possibilities. Um, one is um, go along with the beginnings that have already started and just continue in the way that obama has um has begun Mm -hmm. continue bilateral negotiations making little openings and continuing that way Um, another way is to overturn all of the executive orders that the president president obama was able to um initiate um basically bringing things back um, pretty much to the bush era um the most likely possibility hopeful possibility um would be that they would you know undo some of the executive orders but not undo all of them Mm. and you know maybe sort of start a new direction but um as president trump said he didn't think president obama cut a very good deal he wants to cut a better deal cubans the cubans yeah are not going to talk on that level yeah yeah
1: when uh, When I was with the delegation in march I, and it was also mentioned in one of these sound bites that we heard um, there was a, a, a sort of an inference that um, things are being done because of uh, words in the in the uh the embargo laws that stand that allow for some uh inter uh, trading for things that are perhaps beneficial to the United States, like maybe uh, injections of some sort or maybe even the mitigation of oil, I think, as I mentioned. But um, is it possible that that may, in fact, be the way things just continue to be, it, you know, ignored, ignore the embargo and just keep working around mm-hmm. it? Yeah.
2: Um. Uh, I, I guess I would say um, very quickly that there seems to be all over the United States, uh, business groups who are traveling to Cuba, negotiating, looking to the future. Um, and that's There's so much of it now that should President Trump decide to uh, shut the door, the, the, um, the backlash to that would be not just those of us in the Solidarity Movement and maybe the Chamber of Commerce, but a lot, a lot of people in government and in business who would have felt like they were initiating something and mm-hmm. they would not want to see the door close so that is a little bit um hopeful
1: and there are some some bills i understand but
3: yes we spoke of that briefly before uh we came on air and there is a a bill in the senate and there are three in the house that i understand are all somewhat dead in the water at this point uh, uh either one of you may know a bit more than i on that we i know that both uh, king and and uh of uh, Collins have supported the one in the Senate, but the three in the in the House have not been uh, voted upon by either one of our Congresspeople. They've not supported it, yeah, endorsed it yet.
2: Although Shelly Pingree has been um, has been supportive in the past, and she has signed on to um, uh, as a sponsor to legislation in prior years. Mm-hmm. I think there were at least seven bills last year that were pending in the in the prior Congress. Uh
1: huh. And I, I do know that um, Representative Poliquin has no stand on it yet. I, I was in touch with uh, his office, and uh, they were very appreciative of getting any information at all. I guess they just didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So they'll, uh, they'll either decide to make a point or a stand or not based on uh, what the people around them do. I think that's the way it works sometimes. W- what about Guantanamo? Because Guantanamo is the elephant in the room in, in many ways. It's You know, Obama started his administration saying, by the end of my administration, that'll be gone, and he wasn't able to do it. I think he tried.
3: Yeah, I'm not so sure that he did. I feel that he really could have issued an executive order and really could have shut it down and moved people out of there and just failed to do so because the political will wasn't there on his part. But uh, in any event, I do consider Guantanamo to be sort of the... uh, uh, it, it's emblematic of our enduring failure and emblematic of the way that we are so bully-like around the planet. We've demonized uh, uh, Cuba altogether as we demonized North Korea, as we demonize Russia, as we demonize now Syria and Assad. And, um, it, it just drives me to despair when I think about what has gone on at Guantanamo. There are now still 41 people who have been held there, in some cases for over 15 years. And in some cases, without having their rights read to them, without knowing why, why, why they've been charged. And the vast majority of the, so six or 700 people who have been held in Guantanamo over the years were in fact not uh, taken hostage on the battlefield, but they were bought, bought from uh, um, uh, warlords or from the, the CIA may have rounded these people up. So everyone seems to be just a gross miscarriage of justice. Uh, that sits there, uh, as you say, it's uh, it is the the elephant in the room, five hundred pound gorilla or whatever. Uh, <laughs> this to, this
1: conference that you went to uh, was it primarily because it was in Cuba? was it primarily focused on Guantanamo or? Were it,
3: it well, it was simply because of the juxtaposition to Guantanamo for sure. But it's uh, it is the fifth of these annual conventions. It turns out that every one of the preceding four were also at Guantanamo, so uh. it is definitely a focal point around the world. There are activists all over the world who are disturbed about the presence of our foreign military bases. When we speak of foreign military bases, we are, in effect, talking about the United States because something like 95% of them are U.S. military bases. We have over 800, perhaps over 1,000, depending on how you count them, and the rest of the world might have a total of 30. Um At the conference, we had attendees from all over South America. We had attendees from Italy and from Germany and from Korea and from Okinawa. Um, Those are the countries that come immediately to mind. So it's not as if it's an issue that's uh, relevant only to Cuba and to the response to Guantanamo. But there are people who are disturbed about these bases everywhere. On my way back into the country, uh, going through customs, I was asked uh, what I had been doing in in Guantanamo or in in Cuba, and at that point in time, I was so frustrated with the incoming process that I that I told him I was there protesting the presence of military foreign military bases anywhere in the world. And customs agent said, "Well, why would you why would you be against that?" And uh, I, I uh, proceeded to tell him far more reasons than he could tell me why we ought to have those military bases. So,
1: was he appreciative so. of your uh, thoughts?
3: Uh, I think his response was, "Well." You have a right to your opinion.
1: At least you didn't get taken into the back room, which I, I would have been I thought I was headed there. For sure.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, in case you're just uh, tuning in, we do have an opportunity now between now and the end of the show, which is only about 13 minutes away, uh, to take your calls and comments. So if you have that in your mind and you do feel so inclined, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, the number is 207-469-0500. Or you can call us at... Uh, 1-866-625-9378. Judy, uh, in terms of um, uh, what people in Maine can do to... Let's say we've instigated a certain amount of activism in somebody about wanting to change the situation. What, what can people do?
2: Mm-hmm. I think the, probably the most important thing to do is to continue to work on representatives to support the legislation. The only way the blockade is going to end is through Congress Congress is very reluctant they're often seen to be reluctant to do just about anything mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I've been thinking about why is there so little support in Congress and why is it so much like pulling teeth year after year to get people to co-sponsor legislation and I I tried to think like like a, Congress like a congressman person. what you yeah. know so I, I came up with a couple of ideas um, thinking like a congressman um, Congress might, a congressperson might believe that there is little to be gained. Mm-hmm. There's no profit, really, um, necessarily. There might be to the business community. Um, popular pressure could shift that. Mm-hmm. Education and popular pressure could shift that, just like you are doing and working um, with your local representative's office and, and sharing information. Um, also, the blockade is in itself a manifestation of power. Mm-hmm. Um Congress likes power. The government, the White House, likes power. So why not leave it be? It's there. Why, why take away the blockade? Because it represents U.S. power. Um, also, the blockade serves as um, part of the regional strategy to control um, the rise of the left in Latin America. Um, this is my own opinion based on on what I see and read, but. Um, many countries have been, um, over the past 10 or 15 years, particularly supporting uh, popular movements and leftist governments. There's now a new shift um, in the other direction, um, <laughs> thanks to mostly to U.S. interference. But um, one of the ways to control Cuba in economically is um, to make sure that Venezuela does not survive. Venezuela is having an economic crisis that the world is concerned about. Venezuela's sharing of oil resources and, um, and other mutual relationships with Cuba are, are kind of coming undone. Mm-hmm. So um, the oil market is falling apart. Venezuela is falling apart. Cuba is experiencing a very severe economic crisis right now that it hasn't seen in over 10 years.
1: Mm. I know that uh, the, um, the the terrible times of the 90s after the Soviet Union left and took a lot of its aid away affected a lot of people in Cuba really, really badly. They they went through, well, as a matter of fact, Alberto Gonzalez talks about it in his book, how there was starvation and it was just really an awful time. And in many places, um, it seems like, you know, there's still problems about food distribution, problems about people having enough uh, just because of um, Things like the blockade and, and uh, Venezuela being the only source for oil in some cases. I guess there's some new relationship with Russia again. There's going to be a, an input of mm-hmm. a small amount, but yeah. not very much. Yeah. Um, is is uh, is it in fact the case that um, there's just no way that um, that this this country can make a go of it on its own without? the blockade being lifted i mean aren't there enough countries right like the person asked uh, in the in the audio mm-hmm. part you know couldn't it make it on mm-hmm. its own
2: well cuba is an island yeah it's an island um they rely on imports for just about everything so um i i i don't know yeah. that importing rice from vietnam which is what they do yeah uh, is is going to how long can that be sustained right
3: yeah, again, I think the answer is hidden a bit in uh, just the the terms of the blockade. The blockade isn't just an issue between the United States and Cuba. They've imposed restrictions in other countries by imposing the, the blockade in general in the country.
1: In, in terms of um, um, the purpose of a national government I think this is something that you 're pretty familiar with, and the whole idea of what a country can do with a national government that goes one direction or another direction tell us a little, talk a little bit about that and how they differ how Cuba differs from our outlook
2: mm-hmm. well you can 't really compare Cuba to the United States in terms of the the purpose of the government, but I think a lot of us a lot of us would agree that our government has come um, to the point where um, the government, well, some in the government feel like there should be no government or very reduced government, and that's underway. But but the purpose of the government is to um, make favorable conditions around the world for transnational corporations to secure their resources and their profits. Um, that is, you know, there's just nothing that you could compare that to in Cuba. Um, corporate profit is not a part of the Part of the um, society at all, um, and Cuba's relationship to the world and, and the way Cuba, I believe, in the Cuban Revolution, sees their relationship is um, is a, a, a helper to up uh, uplift small countries and to have um, to increased respect for the poor of the world. Um, this comes. This goes back, you know, decades and back into the 19th century of the teachings of José Martí. The poor people of the world are the people who deserve um, the recognition and uplifting, not to corporate profit. So Cuba sees its relationship and its purpose as a government is in international solidarity, providing for its own citizens and providing um, international solidarity.
1: You mentioned Martí, and I, I, I saw Martí... Busts everywhere. everywhere yeah. I mean, and, and uh, by his own command, none of Fidel, as I understand it. Exactly.
2: That's, that's actually now a law.
1: A law. Okay. Yeah. I, I bet you anything within 50 years, there's going to be a ton of Fidel <laughs> statues. <laughs> but Martí is interesting because I didn't realize that the ethos that he set up back when, he was a poet and he was a, uh, a deep thinker, uh, that that was uh, deeply embedded in the Cuban society and government throughout, but... What happened during the Batista years? There was a difference of opinion in terms of what was important at that point, right before Castro.
2: Yes, and um, the the um, th- those in opposition to the Cuban Revolution have also claimed Jose Marti as their national inspiration, uh-huh. um, which I think Jose Marti would would take. Um, take issue with if, mm. if he were around to have that conversation um, and I, I'm not sure he, they, they maybe see him as a, um, a patriot, a, a hyper patriot or something like that but, um, but really uh, José Martí is considered the, the teacher of mm-hmm. Cuba mm-hmm. and um, Fidel Castro has based his entire philosophy on um, the teachings of the master the teachings of José Martí
1: One of the things, speaking of, of Castro one of the things that um, I heard on the trip uh, was that we can perhaps expect some change after Castro Fidel's brother is no longer in power next year. He said next he's year, not going to run yeah. again, right? So how realistic do you think that is, that th- this country, the United States, would have a different point of view once the Castros are out?
3: I think it's quite possible uh, because I do think there is such anathema with respect to Fidel in particular, but all to uh, lesser extent as his brother. But um, it seems so deep-rooted in our system. Yeah. I, I'm not so sure that I can be optimistic about it. You know, just a, an observation. I I wouldn't want to uh, this anecdote to suggest that I, in any in any way, I feel strongly about patriotism. As a matter of fact, I don't care for patriotism at all in any respect. But there is this incredible fervor I felt uh, that I saw anecdotally about the country and the great national pride that the people seem to have and in, and in a great to a great extent I'm sure that that is because of the behemoth to the to the northwest of their yeah. island uh, that that's caused that but uh, nonetheless they seem to universally take great pride in what they have accomplished in the medical arena and education <clears throat> and the fact that they have been able to survive the
2: the, um, uh, the
3: embargo and are soldiering on.
2: And um, on that note, uh, José Martí, uh, in one of his writings in the book that he wrote called Our America, José Martí defines our America as all of the land south of the Rio Grande. José Martí predicted the current situation um, back in the late 1800s He says this, The trees must form ranks to keep the giant with seven-league boots from passing. It is the time of mobilization, of marching together, and we must go forward in close ranks, like silver in the veins of the Andes. Um, There he is also talking about uh, Latin American integration.
1: We have about three minutes to go, which is um, not enough to get into anything major, but, uh, and it's also not enough to take any phone calls, unfortunately. There's just not enough time for that, but if, you, if you, uh, you out there listening, if you have some thoughts and observations you'd like to get on the air on this subject, don't forget that tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock we have the soapbox, and the soapbox is infamous for being a source of all sorts of ideas and uh, concerns and, and uh, arguments, so Think about that. Ten o'clock tomorrow morning at WBRU. Last things to share about Guantanamo. Your
3: directions in the future. Um, <clears throat> the last, the last request I would have of listeners out there to do anything they can to, to shut down Guantanamo. We ought to be working towards that. And in fact, uh, Code Pink, which was one of the co-sponsors of this of the organization of the uh, conference that I attended, is calling for support of, uh, of um, local. Uh, musical groups in Cuba and I think that's one thing we could ask people to do to take a look at Go Pink or contact me uh, through Maine Veterans for Peace and I'd be happy to tell them how they might be able to help uh, illuminate the situation at Guantanamo.
1: Is it best to get uh, you from the website or do you have an email address? or
3: what's Maine best? Veterans for Peace would be the best thing to go to. And and
1: would that be uh, vfpmaine.org? That's it. Thank you, John. VFP. Yep org, Judy, how about let Cuba live?
2: Well, I would say um, the first thing I would recommend that people do is just what you have done recently, John, and, and also Doug, find a way to go to Cuba. There are um, there are a lot of opportunities. There are three great opportunities this summer, which is the Pastors for Peace uh, Friendshipment Caravan to Cuba in July, the Vance Remus Brigade, who is um, approaching their Fiftieth um, year of taking delegations to Cuba. Wow, They're going wow. in July, yeah. uh, and the uh, African Awareness Association Freedom Ride to Cuba is also taking groups to July. So these are all ways that people can go and then get the bug, come home, and uh, talk about try working on your legislators. Yeah,
1: LetCubaLive.org does that have information about yes, this? Yes, all of those. Yeah. So letcubalive.org. And there's another organization that you might want to take a look at, democracyinamericas.org. It sounds like it might be one of those groups that's trying to push democracy on, but I don't know that it is. It's, it's an interesting group, and it has a lot of information uh, about the bills and about directions, so check that out, too. Well, thank you very much both to Judy Robbins and to Dud Hendrick here in the studio, and to you out there listening. I hope you do get involved. Soapbox tomorrow at 10 o'clock. And also to Joel and to Matt engineering this show. I'm John Greenman. Have a great evening. R.U. comes from
0: Maine Farmland Trust, a member-supported nonprofit organization focused on reviving the working landscape and securing a future for farming in Maine. More information on protecting farmland and supporting farmers at mainefarmlandtrust.org.
3: This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Here's a quick look at the National Weather Service forecast for the Greater Bangor, Midcoast, and Downeast regions. For tonight, mostly clear. overnight.